0: As you're climbing Everest, if the weather changes, all those grand plans that you had go out the window, and now you're fighting for your survival. And that's the same in business and in life.
1: Plug into the minds of the world's cutting-edge innovators, visionaries, and thought leaders, rewriting the rules of high performance at work. It's your time to make an impact. I am your host, Jason Campbell, and this is Superhumans at Work, a Mindvalley podcast. Welcome to Superhumans At Work. I'm your host, Jason Campbell, and the guest I have today, Vern Harnish, is an extraordinary man who has written two books, one, Rockefeller Habits, secondly, Scaling Up. And Scaling Up has been a blueprint that we've used at Mind Valley to really give us the habits, the ideas, the frameworks, and really an understanding of what happens when you rapidly grow an organization. Now, you're going to get to hear from him on how to apply those Scaling Up tactics, not only within the company department that you run, but also as an individual. And what i Particularly love from this episode is that by the end of it, you'll learn a powerful technique to allow you to connect with relevant people that will really allow you to accelerate your career in a way you never thought possible. So enjoy, talk to you there. My name is Jason Campbell, and this is Superhumans at Work, a Mind Valley podcast. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the episode where we're going to have the one and only Vern Harnish, the man who talks about scaling up. And this is really what we're going to want to talk about today, because one of the key concepts that we'll share is that growing a company is a choice. And so what does it take to make that choice? What does it look like when you make that choice? And what responsibility do you have based on no matter where you are within the organization? Vern, thank you so much for being on the show. Jason, glad to be there. Vern, we've had a chance to meet each other at several Mindvalley University event. I've heard you speak about the topic of scale at length, and it's always one of the top rated sessions. I wanted to talk today about why is it so important to scale? Like, why is that idea of scaling so important today?
0: Well, you know, one of the things is you're either growing or dying. And so scale doesn't necessarily have to be like more revenue, but hey, let's scale our profit. Let's scale our influence. Let's scale the opportunities for the employees, or even let's scale what we're able to give back to our community. And so scaling really is what drives our local and global economies. Generally, these mid-market firms that we talked about are the ones that generate most of the jobs and even the innovations that are powering our economies. So I just got back from China. You know, their economy has slowed quite a bit. So their senior leadership is talking about, hey, we've got a lot of startups what we need is more scale-ups. Same thing Trudeau's talking about in Canada. So it's
1: become a hot topic. That's really interesting because, yeah, this idea of scaling up is not as exciting or talked about as, you know, I'm a startup entrepreneur. I went out and I started a business. And so why is it that people focus more on the start as opposed to the scale?
0: Because there's not very many of them. So if you're a politician, you want to talk to the masses. So we've got 28 million companies in the United States, but only 3% scale, less than 1% in Great Britain, and considerably less than that in China. And so it's just because it's such small numbers that they are really the unsung heroes of economies. However, there's a lot of research that's coming out about the real impact that these companies have on economies. And finally, cities and governments are taking it serious, as are reporters.
1: So as we have that conversation talking more about the importance of scaling up and the impact on the economy, we're hopefully going to be seeing a trend where people make that decision to scale up. And this was really where I wanted to toss it at you, Vern, because you say that scaling is a decision. Are you saying that a lot of people decide not to scale? And if that's the case, why? Well,
0: it's really two things. One is a mindset and mind value is a master at really getting at the mindset idea. And what's easy is once you have success of any kind, you can start playing not to lose. It's interesting. They looked at sports and many folks have their favorite sports team. And you've probably noticed that often when they're in this lead or even a big lead, they have a tendency to change their strategy. And depending on the sport, upwards of 80% of the time, once you change to play in defense instead of staying on offense, you're likely to lose that match or that game. We've seen in World Cup of Rugby, we saw it in World Cup with soccer, and I think we saw some of it here with the World Series that finished up last night. So you've got to make sure that you're not in a playing not to lose mentality, and instead you're really playing to win. The second is, you know, when you scale, it gets more complex. And if you don't bring some systems and process in place to deal with that complexity, Because as you arithmetically add people, locations, product lines, service lines, you geometrically increase the complexity. And that's what crushes you.
1: It's interesting because I feel like some people chase that financial freedom and you don't need to scale the company that much. You don't need to face those levels of complexity to get to that level. So what motivates someone to go beyond and how do we get more people to do that leap?
0: You're right. A lot of companies as they scale will find that they're actually making less money because they don't get the processes and systems in place. And so one day they wake up and they go, what am I doing? You know, I've got two to three times the revenue, but now I have these people and these responsibilities and a lot more customers. And I just want to go back to where it was me and maybe a part-time assistant working out of a spare room in the house. I think for the bulk of entrepreneurs, 76% in the United States never get beyond themselves as the lone employee dear friend of mine, Elaine Pofel, actually wrote a book about the one-person, million-dollar-plus business, and you can scale, just as you said, significantly without adding a lot of that complexity. So, look, I think a lot of people ought to make that decision, but if you do choose to scale, then there are some things that you need to put into place.
1: And that brings us up to this big thing that I know you speak a lot about is these four big decisions that are necessarily for scaling up. I'd love for you to elaborate on that so that people have an awareness of what's going to happen on that journey.
0: Yeah. So the first one is people. And the other barrier that gets in the way is most entrepreneurs are pretty wicked smart and they're good at a lot of things. And that becomes the barrier to scaling. You actually have to be willing to let go. You have to trust that somebody else can do it as good or better than you, that you can find them, and that you know how to delegate, not abdicate. And abdication is, here, you just do it. And if you don't check in, if you don't have a process of closing that loop, again, things can get out of control pretty quickly. And so the first is people. And it's critical to scale by continuing to find the right people to partner with, to do business with, to bring on as employees or contractors The second is around strategy. And here, interestingly, the more you scale, the simpler you've got to keep your strategy message. I often use the example of which company is it that delivered pizza? Jason, I've asked that question on six continents and everyone on the planet knows it's Domino's except Southeast Asia where Pizza got there first. Then they just made a simple promise. We'll do it in 30 minutes or less. And then they backed it up with a guarantee or it's free. Deliver pizza 30 minutes or less are free. And Tom Monahan scaled that to where put $4 billion into his pocket. And if you can't state your strategy in some sense that simply, again, complexity is going to crush you as you begin to scale. Then we talked about execution. And the challenge here is communication. It's the number one challenge when you add just a second person to the venture, anyone who's in a relationship knows the challenge of communication. Now you've got 10, 50, 150, thousands of employees. And if you don't have a good meeting rhythm in place, which we teach this day, week, month, quarter, year, rhythm of communication, then again, things can get pretty quickly out of control. And then last is cash. And I consider it the first law of entrepreneurial gravity, growth sucks cash. And if you don't figure out your cash model, then that scaling can crush you financially. We actually use the term in the book, you can end up growing broke. And that's what can quickly happen to entrepreneurs if they don't get their arms around this. So people strategy execution cash, as you suggest.
1: That's so powerful. And what I want to do is open it up for people here that might not be an entrepreneur, but are working within an organization. And I feel like those are still four decisions that I could use within my department. Do you see a lot of people applying this at a departmental level?
0: We do. So one of the things that you have to affect if you're going to scale is change. That's really the only constant right now in our jobs, in our careers, our skill sets, in our companies and economies is change. And so one of the actual tools that we teach, and it's been reflected on some other change management programs that we're big fans of, and that is if you want to get anything done, what you have to do is set a vision for it. So at this famous deli in Michigan, they just wanted to move the mailbox at the distribution center so it'd be easier for everybody. So the first thing you have to do is write up, how is that going to be better? Number two, you take out a piece of paper and you write down a list of all of the people that you need to get buy-in around this decision. And then you go see them and get that buy-in. And then number three, it's much easier to make the change. This, Jason, is exactly the same thing that Regis McKenna taught Steve Jobs when he was scaling Apple. And when Steve needed to launch iTunes, first he had a vision for it. Then he took out a piece of paper and he made a list of the top 25 kind of key players in the music distribution industry. And then he began to work that list until he became the person that ended up dominating that industry. So it's the same process if you want to affect change. When it comes to brand, it's really important if you want to stand out that you become known for something. You know, we talk about if I wanted to buy the safest automobile when my son was born, back then it was a Volvo. If I want to search for something, it is Google. That's really the essence of brand is owning a word or two. Well, the same for you inside the company. What do people call you? You are the go-to person for, and if you've got some expertise, and you're the one people seek out. That is probably your greatest, both job security and your opportunity to be able to scale internally your influence within the organization.
1: Vern, I'd love to elaborate on that because it just dawned upon me the fact that I do have that kind of brand within Mind Valley, like where people always knew me as the sales guy. And so every time there'd be a question around sales, they would always come and talk to me about it. And that's actually allowed me to, like you said, secure myself, even get recognized in anything because I'm always being included in those conversations. So people as individuals need to be conscious of what brand is being associated to them, because if they're not, I'm assuming they could be branded without being conscious of what that is. Yeah. They don't want a negative brand like a-hole kind of thing, or
0: look. Most people and companies never achieve any brand internally or externally. And so, yes, first find out what your brand is. Hopefully it's positive. And then it's important for you to begin to nurture and
1: control that brand. So a powerful vision is required to be able to scale. And I'd love for you to talk about your concept of BHAG and how does that allow someone to make that decision to scale up?
0: Yeah, so we have a one-page, what we call vision summary, and at the top of it, there are four decisions, kind of sub-components of what we see as a complete vision, because most people have visions, they have a dream, and a vision's a dream with a plan. And those four components, Jason, interestingly map on to what make for successful sports and games. In fact, we really see that one of the most important things you can do if you're leading a team inside an organization or a whole company is to gamify the place. And so first, in every sport, people know where the goal is, where I'm going to put the puck, the ball, et cetera, what the finish line is. And we call that this big, hairy, audacious goal. It's like where are we headed? The Everest that we're going to climb. Number two, every sport has white lines. You wouldn't enjoy a sport if it didn't have boundaries that people had to stay within. And those are the three brand promises, the three reasons why I should do business with you. And by the way, the three reasons why people should do business with you internally to the organization, why you are valuable to your department or organization. Number three, every sport or game has rules. And again, nobody would play a game if there weren't clear rules that everybody was following. And that's the core values. And that's important for you to have down at both the individual level, as well as the organizational level. And then last Anyone who's really a team member in a sport isn't just doing it for themselves. They want to win for the team, want to win for the city. They want to win for their country. But there's something bigger than just them. And so those are the four components, the values, the purpose, the brand promises, and the BHAG, those four decisions make for a nice vision, both inside a department as well inside a company or a country.
1: I feel like we're drinking from a fire hydrant here, Vern, because we're talking about some such powerful tools. And again, if you're listening to this and you're within an organization, imagine how powerful you would be if you come up with your own vision of your existence within that organization, where you've painted that bold vision, that BHAG as to what are you looking to achieve? And Vern, I think on an individual level, would it be okay if that BHAG can be changed over time? Can it even be at a selfish level if you haven't done this work before? like How do you get started?
0: Generally, the B-hag is one that you're going to hold on to because you put it way out there. And clearly, if all of a sudden your passion is weighing for that, then you're going to want to make a pivot. I think what's more important is for teams to be really clear in individuals what it is that I need to do today and this week and the next couple of weeks. That's why most of Silicon Valley is trying to get big projects done You only eat the elephant one bite at a time. So they create these things called sprints. And I think it's interesting. If you're watching the Olympics, you'd rather watch the 100-meter dash than you would the marathon. Whatever the case is, you want to take this marathon, this big bucket list goal that you've set for yourself personally or for yourself career-wise, and then you want to break it down to manageable steps. And you're right. Your strategy is only as good as your next punch in the face, as they say. And so you may have to just pivot Two weeks later, as you're climbing Everest, if the weather changes, all those grand plans that you had go out the window and now you're fighting for your survival. And that's the same in business and in life.
1: I love it. And when we're talking about those brand promises, I can imagine on an individual level, you can set aside what is it that you stand for so strongly in the way that you're going to deliver your work on a day-to-day basis. If you're someone that says, you know, a brand promise is that you're always going to be someone that comes up and shows up on time for every meeting and you declare that, I believe that would be such a powerful vehicle. I guess that would tie into values. Would I be applying this correctly, Vern? Yeah, you are. And by the way, they all mix
0: and match. You know, it's one of the things I hate about my industry is we don't have a common language like every other profession does. Lawyers can be at odds with each other, but everything's called the same thing in the legal field and the accounting field and the medical field. But in this business field, every thought leader thinks they have to have their own language and it just creates confusion within the marketplace. So one of the most important things to do is just pick your own language. You don't have call it values. You can call it principles, beliefs, your way, label it, brand it, and then stick
1: to it. Love it. And so again, declare what is it that you stand for, identify what values are important to you so it starts directing your ideas. And then finally, that purpose so that it is beyond you because you don't want to just be doing everything from a selfish perspective. You're not going to be helping yourself and you're not going to be helping the organization. So make sure that goes beyond that reach. So Vern, I wanted to create that space to kind of include everyone who can apply these tools individually, but I want to go back to the big picture from an organizational perspective here. What are we seeing as some of the bigger challenges people will face when they make that decision to scale today?
0: Well, towards the beginning of the book, I have a chapter, and Jason, people can download it for free. They don't even have to buy my book. Just go to scalingup.com. They'll see a picture of the book, and there's this free chapter they can download called The Barriers. And we wanted to look at what are the three barriers that are fundamental to almost every individual and organization if they wanted to scale. And so the first one is why you guys are in business. It's development, personal development, the constraints really between our ears, The challenge is not knowing what we don't know. The second is scalable infrastructure. It's just how do you scale up office space and computer systems and processes because of this increase in complexity that you face? And then number three, I'm actually very precise here. The third barrier is marketing. And in a way, it's critical for our own career that you need to be out there in a way marketing yourself and for your organization. And so marketing effectiveness is that third barrier. Summary, leadership development, scalable infrastructure, and marketing effectiveness are the three barriers. And if you can address and fix those three and have them running well in the organization, you're gonna be successful.
1: Love it. I'd love to open up a bit more on this marketing aspect because would I be correct to assume that today it seems like it's more important than ever, or it seems like the landscape is changing more rapidly?
0: It's different. You know, we kind of move from the show up and throw up advertising phase. Then we move to the spin selling phase where it's more about asking questions. Now, really, at the end of the day, nobody wants to be sold. They want to be educated. We're even looking at what we consider the long form video as really our next approach to educating the marketplace so that they're interested in getting our help in scaling up. Plus, the unbelievable... Proliferation of tools that have come about, particularly of social media, the internet, and the rest that allow any of us to kind of reach anyone at any time, anywhere. And so, if there's any one of the fields that has changed dramatically, it's marketing. Though, what hasn't changed is this first fundamental idea of you want to get anything done, take a piece of paper out, make a list. And if you can get the right brands and influencers, to sign on. So for instance, when I launched, Jason, Y-E-O, you know, we were this nascent organization. And so when I went to launch its first executive program with 156 members, the fact that I was able to get MIT, unbelievable institution in the world, and Inc. Magazine to both sign on and be partners and to lend their brand, we went from 150 to 1500 members almost overnight because of their influence and I was able to draft off of that. Another great example, early student of mine, Tony Hartle. Tony had launched a suntanning salon. You know, we're not talking about Amazon, Google, or Facebook. We're talking about a suntanning salon. But he was smart enough, took the piece of paper out and said, in Dallas, who are the key brands or influencers? And it was the Dallas Cowboy Cheerleaders who need suntans and Mark Cuban who owns the sports teams and is the multi-billionaire who's well-known, not only in that city, but around the world. And so he became the official tanning salon of the Dallas Cowboy Cheerleaders. And Jason, he got Mark to agree to be the spokesperson on his radio ads. Now, if you've got Mark and the Cowboy Cheerleaders bolted on, it's kind of game over, Now, he was an unbelievable practitioner of our Rockefeller habits. He ran a very disciplined organization that managed the chaos as he scaled to multiple regional locations, which he ultimately sold to one of the biggest national players in the U.S. But that's how you get it done
1: is through others. I love it. And I remember hearing your talk at our events, talking about the importance of that list of 25 people. We've mentioned it twice already, but I really want to stress how powerful this concept is and its simplicity as well. You're just talking about any barrier that anybody has when it comes to growing usually has to do with the strength of their social connection and their access to these people that give them this unbelievable competitive advantage. What do you do when you have that list? Could you give some practical advice? Because even in an organization, you could be like, I could make a list of the people that I report directly to or that I want to be promoted to. How do you get started? Do you make that list and then what? So one of the most powerful
0: tools is Google Alerts. And so what you want to do is you want to put their name and the organization name in Google Alerts. So for instance, Greg Branham is a relationship that I wanted to nurture and now I can continue to nurture. And so I've got his name, and August 15th, something popped into my embasket that said he had been mentioned in a significant article by this top woman financial player who had mentioned Greg as one of her mentors. And I thought, wow, this is cool. And so I forwarded that article to Greg. Hey, maybe you didn't see it, but one of your mentees just gave you a beautiful shout out. And he was so appreciative about it, because this is an example that you got to give before you ask. I'm giving him my attention. I alerted to him to this article. And that's how you nurture these relationships. I want to share one very specific example, Jason. I think of Dick Hackborn. Dick was this engineer in the bowels of Hewlett-Packard who had this idea that HP ought to move into the printer business. But they ought to be using someone's outside printer engine. And that was absolutely against HP's policies. But he had managed to nurture a relationship was somebody on the board of Hewlett Packard. And that person gave him air cover, just like Dr. Ed Roberts, the senior professor at the MIT Sloan School, who I got introduced to by Burning Gold Magazine. And look, I'm just a student, but Ed bought into my vision for this executive program. And he gave me air cover. If I was causing too many issues inside other departments of MIT, he'd protect me or he'd warn me. And that's what this board person did for Dick Hackborn. And Dick then is up in Idaho, kind of secretly working this project. And this board member would let him know if the executives from HP were going to get ready to visit so he could literally hide it. It ultimately came to fruition. And he ultimately became on the board of Hewlett Packard himself Is one of the most influential persons. But he was just an engineer down to the bowels of the organization. And that's how you use your network to move up in an organization or move out into a marketplace.
1: Such a powerful system and powerful story that no matter which position you're in, these connections there, you can start monitoring them, you can nurture them, it doesn't matter where you are, but you can reach out to the people that would make the biggest impact in pushing your ideas forward and really seeing what, if you have that vision, you have those foundations made that could make a giant impact in the company, start understanding who you build the relationships with, make that list of 25 and you'll be able to see when you reach out to them and you've done that work, you'll be able to connect with them, Nurture that relationship, and then you start moving more mountains than you ever thought possible. Vern, this was powerful.
0: Jason, I'll mention one other one. And let's take the pressure off the audience. Just make a list of five. I know within our global coaching organization, if I have these five coaching partners on my side, if I want to change something or initiate something, then I'm likely going to get the other 180 to go along. So just start with five.
1: Start with five and then work that list. I've seen this even in my communications, Vern, just being able to reach out for building connections in the podcast world and influencers is I've looked for the top people, obviously you being one of them. And I've always nurtured that relationship. And so I think people think that people are so inaccessible when in essence, you put a bit of effort, you actually reach out with genuine care with an attitude of giving first, setting up those alerts, and just building that from a not necessarily take perspective, but just give, you already are a step ahead of most of the people in the world. You are. So everyone, this was such a powerful call. We had a chance to see when you make that decision to scale up, you go ahead and set that vision, that BHAG that you're going to want to chase. And from there, you make your brand promises, and then you go ahead and determine your values and set a purpose that is beyond yourself. And once you've been able to set that decision to scale up, you realize you'll make such a bigger impact that is way beyond yourself. And you can do this at an individual level. Be aware of those four decisions that are necessary around your cash, your strategy, the execution, and the people. And when you make that decision to scale up, you'll see when you're pulled by that vision, all those things starts more aligning because you'll make them with an intention that you are growing. And the most powerful of these tools is just that once you've done that BHAG and you start understanding who do you need to ally yourself with internally, externally, start with a list of 25. If that's too much, start with five and then see how you can set up these Google alerts. You can start following them and you can see that you build these relationships and those relationships are the key people that will support you on this big mission. Vern, again thank you so much for everybody listening check out scalingup.com take all the resources you can find there and you'll see that you'll be much more equipped in making a much bigger impact in the world as someone who makes that important decision to scale up and make that greater impact Thanks for tuning in to Superhumans at Work. This episode with Vern was so powerful and I really hope you go out and apply those techniques that were shared towards the end. Just make that list, make sure you connect with them, follow them, and you'll see that you can actually find yourself connecting with relevant people that can move the needle at the impact you want to make wet whatever level of the organization that you are. That being said, if you've enjoyed this, be sure to leave us a rating as we keep this show completely commercial free and share this with your friends if you see they would benefit from learning from Vern and other content that we have at Superhumans at Work. This has been your host, Jason Campbell. Thanks for tuning in. And until next time, take care. My name is Jason Campbell and this is Superhumans at Work, a Valley podcast.